1: Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. You don't have to always run towards the fire with a gas can. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. Do our hoses connect? With Margaret Apples and Amy Wilson. Like I was too embarrassed for myself to be reading it. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. Look what I can do hello everyone and welcome to what fresh hell laughing in the face of motherhood this is Margaret, and this is amy and today we're talking about the most important things that each of us have learned in the six years of doing this podcast happy sixth anniversary to you. We were oldie locks <laughs> when we started this podcast, and now we're six <laughs> years more oldie locks. Right. Just like you were saying that you should, you know, love how you look in pictures now, because in five years, yes, six years ago, we were like, we're so old and now. <laughs> <laughs> Little did we know, we'd be six years older in six years. What would you give? But it's been a terrific journey, and I have a really nice mailbag for today. Oh, I love it. Oh, yes. Wait a minute. Time for mailbag. Wait. wait, wait, yeah, yeah, yeah. Check the mailbag. Hit me. This is from Laura on Instagram. She likes the videos we're putting up, the clips from the show. And she says, oh my gosh, seeing your faces talking to each other, such a celeb sighting, which is pretty funny. Mm. Love that for me. Laura says, you two are high up there with the only reasons I made it through the darkest parts of COVID. Hearing your voices brings an immediate smile to my face and joy to my heart. I love that. Thank you. That really is nice. And it's really true that this also got me through the darkest parts of COVID talking to you. And yeah, yeah, we were talking about what we've
0: learned. And I was like, I could do a whole thing on COVID. It was so nice to be connected to you and to the listeners through that whole period. It really did make me feel like I'm not just on an
1: island of gloom and doom by myself. Yes, I'm not slowly going crazy. Like, no, this is as hard as you think
0: it is. People were sort of saying like, oh, thank you for keeping recording going, because Amy...
1: And her family had COVID week one. Had COVID, which we didn't know. It. I mean, we were very sick, but it was also like not what you wanted to be confirmed as true. Either. Yeah. But I mean, no tests, no anything, no hospital, like couldn't see the doctor. So we just had to wonder. But it was definitely
0: like in terms of because we record, we're not in the same place, but we look at each other. It's like being on a video call. It was really nice to have someone who was not a member of my immediate household to speak to <laughs> once a week, you know, as people said, like, thank you for keeping going. And I thought, no, 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 we thank you. You for listening because it gave us something to do. Right. Amy, I have a huge update. I mean, this should probably be its own episode. It's that big. So, on our what we're listening to, reading, and watching episode, I talked about my elf romance series. Yes. A update number one I've finished the elf romance series, four books, like 500 pages each, loved them all. Court of Thorn and Roses, it's called. Although I will say, the five chili peppers, as we were saying, it is spicy. Was, I had to skip pages because like I was too embarrassed for myself to be reading it. And the audiobook, at one point I tried to get the audiobook and I was so embarrassed for myself and the lady reading it, even though I was just in my car by myself. I just couldn't handle it. So it's very, very spicy. I loved the books, but Gabby, who works with us, informed me correctly that they are fairies. They're not elves.
1: <laughs> you, I was there for the first part of that conversation. Like, no, they're elves. They're fi-. You read 500. 500- they have pointy ears. Who has pointy ears? 2,000 pages in, you're like, I guess they are fairies. I mean,
0: literally, I had finished the entire series. They have pointy ears. So I just clocked them in my mind as elves. Or Vulcan. Or Vulcans, right. I guess... So fairies have pointy ears. People must have been picturing like Herbie the dentist, like in my romance series from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It's not elven people. I mean, I guess Lord of the Rings has sexy elves. There are sexy elves in
1: the canon. Yes. But these beings are fairies. But they're in relationships with humans. So I think of fairies as being like Tinkerbell-sized moats of dust floating past. These are Six-foot fairies? It's definitely confusing. Don't ask him any questions. Do you
0: remember they made, in the original Godzilla, they made a Godzilla, and then he was, like, running through the subway tunnels, and then he was bigger than the Empire State Building? I'm not sure I'm understanding how big Godzilla is. Like, how can he be running down a subway tunnel and also bigger than the Empire State Building. I had a lot of the same problems clocking these fairies or elves, as I thought at the time, like what size are these things? I may do an entire spinoff podcast all on this book series. But I want to recognize Gabby for correcting me that the entire 2000
1: pages that I thought I was reading about elves, these beings are actually fairies. I like that we're still learning things this many years into the podcast. And we're here to learn things. Like that's the best part of this podcast for me is learning things that I truly didn't know and then getting to share them with you and some listeners. No, I mean... You would have never known about this elf
0: fairy romance <laughs> would, world without me. And you can thank me now or later,
1: <laughs> whichever you prefer. Without you. Yeah. Without you, Margaret, without you. so That's something I've learned. Fairies. Okay. Thank you for that very important takeaway. All right. So I gave myself the assignment to like, what are the three most important things I didn't know before working on this podcast that I know now from having worked in this podcast that I sort of return to again and again.
0: Yes. You also gave me the assignment. And guess what? This is going to shock you. I did my assignment. I did my homework. Oh, awesome. Normally when Amy gives me assignment, I'm like, I'll just fake it when we get on the air. But I actually, I mean, I wrote down four things on a piece of paper. I didn't spend a lot of time on it, but I
1: did do it. Okay. All right. Well, do you want to go first or should I go first? You go first. This is something that I remember like coming to this realization on the podcast and the realization was original to us, but not the sort of research behind it, which is if you find yourself saying what's wrong with this kid, there's something wrong with this kid that we boiled that down that way. But that comes from the work of many psychologists that we've talked about on the show, interviewed Dr. Stuart Shanker, Dr. Ross Green, all of their work coming down to behavior is emotionally driven. And that if your kid is driving you nuts, there's a need that's not being met that maybe you can or cannot handle in aisle eight, right at that moment. But there's something going on. Your kid does not wake up determined to work your last nerve because they enjoy it, but because they have needs that aren't being met. And framing it that way has transformed how I'm able to meet my kids in challenging moments.
0: Agree. I think that's really true. And also, you know, as we came into the podcast, I came in very much with the sort of tweet tweet mentality, which you named for me, but I am a student of, which is like, none of this is very interesting. The kids just have to eat and get ready and go to school and let's, we're all overthinking it. But This is one of the takeaways, and I have on my list, which I think is connected, is the idea of after-school restraint collapse and the idea that there is a reason. So, after-school restraint collapse, meaning that kids come home from school, they've had like a kind of a mask on all day, and they're taking it off and walking in the door, and they're tired and hungry, and exhausted. And they're saving all their love for you sometimes. And they're walking in the door and kind of like sometimes vomiting all over you. Getting to the root cause of what is going on with your kids is not tweet, tweet, oh, we are so into our kids. And you know, my parents didn't worry about this. It actually helps you. And I think that my kind of North Star, as we've developed the show has been I'm only interested in things that help. So I'm not really interested in, well, kids in France eat better than us and you should feel bad about that. I'm interested in, if you're having a problem with the dinner table, does this make the problem easier or harder, you know? And so... I think that some of the advice we hear, I'm like, I don't know that if that's interesting to me, it might make things harder, but actually getting at the cause of things that are problematic and addressing them makes life easier. And understanding that after-school restraint collapse is a thing, and then understanding my reaction is feed the kid as soon as they get home, leave them alone, don't pepper them with questions, let them have an hour of video games or screens, respect that time as a specific time, and then generally... Generally, make that a rule for is this something that's happening every day? Is it happening every day at the same time? Like that behavior is not just a tornado that you're stuck in. Yes. It's a pattern that you can, it's
1: a puzzle that you can solve. See, the research, I remember the lightning bolt that hit both of us when I'm like, there's a thing, and it's called after school restraint collapse. And here you thought and I thought, and everybody listening thought that just happened at their house because their kids were out of control. And what are they gonna do with this kid who falls apart every afternoon? It must be our terrible parenting. This must be something I have to course correct, lest they be an adult who is unable to cope with life. Like, no, this is a thing. It's developmental. It's a season. And it's something to be aware of. And here's how you fix it, right? And the fix is a snack and leave them alone is instead of what's going on and won't you tell me like maybe your seven-year-old doesn't want to talk about it now or ever and maybe that's okay it's not yours to fix it's just yours to sort of understand
0: i find a lot on the ask margaret episodes that i just recently did one on spitting The first thing I say so often on those episodes, my kid's spitting. I don't know what to do. It's disgusting. It's horrible. The first thing is usually this is a developmental phase. Kids spit because it's a very rare thing that a three-year-old has total control over. Mm -hmm. I have liquid in my mouth that I can propel towards other people. It's step one that says your kid is not a devil monster and you're not a terrible parent. This is something that happens. Step one, this happens and happens to a lot of people and here's why. Why? And then step two is here's four strategies to cut it out. Having your first response be like, this is, quote unquote, normal behavior. Expect it. It's right, happening right. for a reason. It's just such a good place to start with problems with kids. And, you know, I have a kid on the spectrum and that's a different set of This is something that happens with kids on the spectrum. It may not be the same as something that happens to all kids, but for most problems, you can say like, okay, this is something that happens with teenagers. This is something that happens with kids with ADHD. This is something that happens with kids under five. And it gives you so much more control.
1: And the other thunderbolt of realization I've had from having people on this podcast from um, Ross Green's Collaborative Problem Solving, that if your kid is having a meltdown about homework every night, that you sit down and you say, hey, so I've noticed like homework is really a hard time for you at night. What's up with that? And don't come into that like, okay, here's what I think we're going to do. Here's the seven part homework fairies chart that I've created. It's not a way for you to introduce the solution you've already decided is going to work. It's really asking the kid, you're struggling. What's up? And the answer will sometimes be it's too hot in my room, right? Or mm-hmm. <laughs> my math teachers mean to me or whatever it is, but but it will often be my hand hurts from holding the pencil after also doing that in school all day. Like the reason that your kid is having what seems to you an irrational reaction to something is really very often something you could never have predicted and something that is fixable but they're just not going to tell you, I don't like holding a pencil. They're just going to kick you.
0: Yeah. Give them a chance. Right. And give them a chance to tell you. And there may be times where they can't tell you. I had during the course of our recording this podcast, one of my children was involved in an extremely traumatic event. In terms of our conversations, it really helped me see like, oh, the ripples of that are showing up two months later, four months later. And my kid is not saying, this is tied to this thing that happened. I'm having anxiety about it. I would just sort of see the way it was rippling through months later. And so it's not always that your kid is going to give voice to, I am tying this back to this thing that happened and I'm having anxiety around it. But they may be able to tell you, mm-hmm. I just start getting scared when, the, when it gets dark outside or whatever it is. They may be able to give voice to something smaller about it. Keeping those lanes of questioning open rather than being like, I've got all the solutions, so I don't need to hear from you. Even with a very young child, that has been a huge takeaway for me. Involving
1: your kid in helping them solve their problems. I saw a story about this brings this home so clearly. I think I saw it on Twitter. Somebody's two year old was feeling sick with what they hoped wasn't COVID. And the two year old was saying, ears hurt, ears hurt. And then eventually brought them to the, you know, the pediatrician. And by then the two year old had been saying like mouth. And then it took the pediatrician to say, It's your throat. She's trying to tell you she has a sore throat, but she literally doesn't have the words. And so the only clue is where she said something about her ears and something about her mouth and was also a wretched, sobbing, very difficult child for days. And then the pediatrician looked down her throat like her throat's on fire. But the two-year-old couldn't say throat. But it was there. There was a reason. It wasn't like my two-year-old is a nightmare. This is how it is now. And so there's always an answer. I think taking out of the equation, my kid is a nightmare. Yeah. And realizing your kid is not
0: necessarily going to be like, well, this thing that happened or like my fears about COVID or being out of school for 18 months is now manifesting as a feel. They're not going to explain it that way, but understanding that behavior is a clue to something and starting from there, huge thing I've learned for the podcast. All right, Amy, I have another thing that we'll be back with after this break.
1: Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers.
0: So after school restraint collapse was number one. I'm going to say that one of the things I really feel like I have learned from this podcast is that my default idea of motherhood has really been challenged by the array of guests that we've had on and that I didn't realize how much my default idea of what a mom is, is like a white suburban mom whose husband works out of the house and they're mostly And who has a husband, P.S., is married to a man. Who has a husband, married to a man, named (laughs) David in our case, both of us. And really just hearing from a hugely diverse group of moms with a really diverse group of kids with different needs and just really trying and challenging and stretching myself to say, when I picture a mom, I'm picturing more than just myself. I was just talking to Helena Andrews-Dyer about this. She wrote a book called The Mamas, and it's about her as a Black mom joining a mostly white mothers group. We'll put a link to the interview in the show notes. I also have a kid who is on the spectrum. I think often like if I didn't have that kid, I would think like, well, kids behave Y if you do X. And that any default you have as a person, as a mom, as a parent, as a friend, I think it's just so interesting. And it's been such a gift to have uh, an ability to check in with that. Well, you know, all kids will X if you do Y. As it turns out, kids are really different and moms are really different and they have different starting points and different set points. And what may be challenging for you is easy for another mom. What may be
1: easy for you is challenging for other moms. That reminds me of when we had Casey Davis on the show. And I sort of understood for the first time that, I mean, you and I are different in many ways and I'm extremely orderly and organized and like neat surroundings and that kind of thing. And that's not as important to you. But I find that easy. You to like to be that organized and have things be that neat is really stressful. And I'm like to have things not be that organized and neat is really stressful. And neither is wrong. Both are true and it's morally neutral so you need to have a home and surroundings that work for you and if you're really good at keeping things tidy and that makes you happy like good for you I guess but it's not better for everybody that really dropped in for me
0: it's so as you know I think I said in an earlier podcast morally neutral is my phrase of the year it's really changed my game in so many ways and just the idea that like Taking good and bad out of the equation for so many things. Going to sleep with dirty dishes in the sink is actually morally neutral. Mm -hmm. Like it's not that I'm a bad person, a bad mom, a bad housekeeper. It's just, I didn't feel like doing the dishes tonight and they'll get done tomorrow. Taking a lot of the judgment out From around that has been really interesting. And I think also talking to Amber Briggle, who's the mom of a trans kid in Texas, and dealing with that situation and just our default for what it looks like for any given family. It's been fascinating to me. And, you know, using the fresh takes and interviews to sort of expand that and hearing from such a wider array of voices and starting to think like, If your kids, you know, picture a mom as only the two of us, that's a limited view of motherhood. How do you expand your idea about motherhood? And how do you expand your idea about other people and yourself? Sometimes it's been kind of challenging, and I've found it really
1: interesting to do. It reminds me of that book, Far From the Tree, that we've talked about on this show before. I'll also put the link in the show notes for that one. It's a home, but it's definitely worth getting through. And it's about what happens. Say like your child is blind, your child is transgender, your child is autistic, and you're not. It's based on the saying the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But of course, sometimes it does. And how do you parent somebody who's so different from you? And meeting different perspectives, it does help me parent my kids who are in some ways very much like me and in some ways very different from me. Like sometimes the coping strategies that I would suggest for a week with three tests or a tough time with a group of friends are not as useful to this other person who is different from me. And I think sometimes I can feel like, no, 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 no. But it works for me. So therefore, it must work for everybody. And just listen to me. Let me just say it again louder. Let me just tell you 10 more times to do it the way I think you should do it. And you know what? And sometimes I am right. Sometimes they don't take my advice, and they should have. And then sometimes they don't take my advice, and it works out pretty well, actually, that having different perspectives helps me realize that even with my kids, it's possible for them to have a different perspective.
0: And it is, I mean, there's a limit to how much you and I, as the people we are, can give voice to, right? You can't talk about every possible scenario. You know, the way you handle your spouse is very different if you're gay mom, a mom with a deployed spouse, a mom who is deployed. One of the things we've tried to do with the Fresh Takes is hear from a range of experiences. You may not hear Your experience reflected in every person who's talking about their experiences and telling their story. But I've found it personally just super useful to think what is my default? What do I believe it is to be a person, a mother, a wife, a woman, all of these things? And how am I able to challenge that idea by listening to other people? and understanding that their default is different than my own. I think the operating systems are like wired into every person at the factory, and they're not. Everybody's operating system is wired completely differently. You're operating in a context that I don't understand, but I'm very interested in thinking about it. Okay. Our hoses. Do our hoses connect? Hoses. (laughs) I'm going to convince you on my hose theory one of these days. Connecting
1: hoses, people. Hoses in the face of motherhood. Yeah. (laughs) I have a good one. Something that you said that I think about all the time. I'm very wise. Which gem was this? This was a gem that wasn't even about kids, but it's led me to like a what realization about the self, which is you always say, I believe it's your sister that you're quoting when you say people describe themselves. They always get it like opposite. Like, you know, I'm such a laid back person. I might say when everybody knows I'm not. This is my sister, Anne, who I have to credit because it's the greatest theory of life. So when people describe, like I'm the kind of guy who listen very carefully because it's actually the opposite of whatever they think, right? There's an old
0: joke when someone tells you how honest they are at dinner, hide the silver, like it's that joke, but it's right. I'm so laid back,
1: you know? Yeah. So I've been doing some research on self-compassion and there's a researcher named Kristen Neff. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And I was watching her TED talk about this self-compassion. Self-compassion is, you know, the key to parenting. Basically, we're saying like giving ourselves a break, right, is self-compassion. And sometimes we have to give ourselves a break because nobody else is going to give us a break. But she argued that it is a psychological truth that we cannot see ourselves as accurately as we see other people. Yes. You know, we can see what other people's stuff have going on. We can read a person, you know, for better or worse. And, but we can't, do that for ourselves. We're very, very bad at reading ourselves. So therefore, the stuff that we give ourselves a hard time about, if it was you, if it was a friend, if it was somebody else at school, you'd be like, of course, you're not getting the dishes done. Your kid is sick, right? We can give other people a break. We can see other people's circumstances clearly. But when it's our own stuff, we bring so much, not just self-judgment, but actual inaccuracy we don't see ourselves clearly. And so it gets in the way. So that's what I've learned. And I'm applying that to like a lot of things right now. Like, oh, that makes sense. Self-compassion is hard because we're bad at understanding ourselves.
0: Yeah. I had a therapist years and years ago say this to me and it made so much sense. She said, you're driving a car and if I'm in the car, I can't tell how fast we're going. So it's my job to stand on the side and tell you how fast the car is going. If you're in a car, you can't feel the difference in speed as much as if you're standing still. If you didn't have an odometer in your car, it's very hard to know how fast you're going. And so often. Yeah. You can tell if you're going a hundred miles an hour or five
1: miles an hour hour, but it's really hard to know the difference between like 30 and 50, you know? Yeah, and think about how easy it is that like you were going 55 and you look down and you're going 75. It's like, oh, what ha- I, I didn't even notice, right? I was like lost in a thought and, <laughs> and I'm going a little too fast. Right. So it's her job to sort of stand there with a radar gun and be like, this is what's actually happening, whether or not you can feel it. Remember when we had Dr. Becky on the show talking about good inside and I remember asking her in that interview, like, so why don't we just do this though? Like, why don't we just like, her whole thing is like, your kid's good inside when and he's struggling, which is kind of what we were talking about in the first part, right? You're good inside. Your spouse is good inside. And I sort of asked her, like, why don't we just think this? Like, why is it something you have to explain to us? Why don't we all just know and operate from that assumption? But we don't. And I think that's like another part of this, that we need to remember that we're good inside and that we will bring a lot more gentleness to ourselves and our parenting.
0: Right. And you've talked about this, right? Like negative confirmation bias, your nervous system, much more valuable information is like wrong, danger, bad. That's the information your body needs to survive. Yes. Fine calm, sunny, breezy is not necessary information for your nervous system because It's not, you don't Velcro it. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't need to keep you safe from that. All
1: right, Amy, let's take a break. I want to hear your next
0: thing that you've learned. Your second child is here, and it might be time to adjust your expectations.
1: First child. We shall eat only organic foods which I will lovingly hand blend. Second child. Is a six-month-old too little to gnaw on a McDonald's french fry? First child. Screens. Are you insane? Don't you know Steve Jobs didn't let his own children have iPads until they were six? Second child. Okay, let me prop you up in the bumbo to watch Dora the Explorer, and then maybe I can grab my first shower of the week. First child. Oh no, I could never leave my precious child. Second child. Honey, if you don't book me a sitter and get me out of here this week, I am going to lose my mind. First child. We will maintain a rigorous nap schedule from which I shall never veer. Second child. The baby's asleep. Everyone lie down now. This could be our only chance. Move, people. Move. This has been
0: your guide to adjusting your expectations after a second child from the
1: What Fresh Hell podcast. Well, we're back, and the next thing that I was going to say was negativity bias, which was just, it <laughs> was just it. <laughs> a spoiler that, alert: that you you search for, you know, just to break it down in case somebody's unfamiliar, that your brain searches for the danger in a situation. Like if you're a caveman out on the savannah, you're you're scanning for threats. And so our brains are still like that. We sort of scan for threats, things that are unsafe, bad things, and they are more sticky. So you think about, you know, the one time that your spouse was short with you instead of the five times that he wasn't. And you kind of store those. And so you can, through work and meditation, decide to notice the yellow card, decide to notice the positive things. You can retrain your brain a little bit around this stuff. And it's sort of like self-compassion, but I feel like this one is maybe more others focused.
0: Yeah, because it's more, we talk about my kid got a note home. I caught you being good. And it was like, you noticed your desk mate didn't have a pencil and you gave them one, whatever. But that is something that I think I've actually worked on. And it's actually made my life better. KJ Antonia said when she was talking on how to be a happier parent on the podcast, we wanted kids, we wanted that we sought this experience out most of us. And so happiness in this relationship should be a real goal of ours and one of the ways that i come to that is here's what you're doing right it doesn't i mean i yell at my kids all the time last night at dinner they were all like screaming memes at each other. <laughs> I went nuts and kind of said, we're going to have a dinner and I cooked all this food and now we're... It doesn't mean every night I'm like, I got you being good again. <laughs> I got you Guys, being good. Just awesome. Like, I, it's not what's happening in my house. But really fighting against the natural bias of everyone was put on earth to make my life more difficult, which the pandemic exacerbated so badly. I mean, I reached a point in the pandemic where I was like, how could I have married a man who breathes this way? I mean, at some point I yelled at him, could you stop walking that way? And he really just looked at me and said, I think this is just the way I walk. Like, I felt like he was stomping around just to make me crazy. And it turns out, I don't believe that was the case. I think that's just, as he said, the way his feet were made. But I do think that looking for the good, as corny and tweet-tweet as it can sound, with both your spouse and your children it's kind of a simple fix. Just a reminder to try to smile when I see my spouse. That's been a game changer for me. Rather than he walks, oh thank God. All right, here, here's the eight things that I need, and here's what went wrong, and here's
1: what needs to be fixed. Really making an effort to just smile when I see him. Game change. The negativity bias, too, is something we can recognize in our kids. Speaking as a parent of three teenagers, it comes and goes, but it's really there sometimes, and it's probably really developmentally appropriate. Like, we just talked about how, I wish I had the the source on this, because it was so good, this idea of, like, teenagers argue with you because they're good at it, because they're trying out a very new skill. It's the same reason why three-year-olds spit, people. Yes, yes. Look what I can do. Yes. And so negativity bias is like your teenage cave person is getting ready to go out on her own and survive on her own. And part of that is thinking everything that you suggest is dumb and everything in her current environment is bad and stupid so that she's brave enough to leave and you're brave enough to let her leave. Right. So a little negativity bias, you can sort of see it. You know, one of my kids was just super negatively biased recently and, and you know I stopped I recognized it instead of sort of reacting right instead of being like you don't speak to me and don't you understand and whatever just respect like respect my authority oh. yeah respect my authority like wow like bad mood highly reactive why hmm well they were just sick Like, you know, three days ago, right? Three days ago, they were lying on the couch and now they're up and walking around and extremely short with me. And can I not be like, my kid will never respect me unless I clamp down on this right now and reset this behavior? Can I instead be like "Mm, (laughs) little negativity bias? That's like the last bits of static electricity from really feeling pretty sick, working itself out.
0: I feel like if I had to point to the one thing that you've taught me on the podcast, it's that thing of, I don't have to accept the invitation to every argument and fight. Like it is fine for a kid to be upstairs slamming doors and saying, I hate this without me running. Up, I heard you and, da, 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 and like that thing of like, you have been cordially invited to have a three hour screaming match. I'm not available this evening. I'll be in my room whenever you calm down that, because I think that I come from a, authoritarian family, uh, full of authorities. And I think the idea that letting stuff go meant that I was saying that the behavior was okay, or that, you know, uh, what they were doing was acceptable. I felt like if I let any shot go by me, that I was letting go of my authority and I was letting go of my control in the house. That is something I you have really helped me let go of. Like, oh, sometimes they're just fighting and
1: being annoying and you don't have to always run towards the fire with a gas can. It's so hard. I think I got that from Bill Murray, of all people, that, you know, your your kids, you don't have to chase every ball they throw. <laughs> you can. Does Bill Murray have children? Yeah. Yeah, he does. I'm not even sure if that was from an actual interview or from his performance in Lost in Translation, but I believe that one was from an actual interview. Ah, don't chase every ball they throw. That's a great way to. Yeah, Lost in Translation, his character has adult children and explains to Scarlett Johansson's character how much you just love these People that they're just the coolest people, you know, are your grown kids. And I remember that giving me such comfort when my kids were little. This whole idea that like, this is something else we've talked a lot about in this show, that it isn't like, well, they're only little ones, 18 years of Saturdays, and then just loneliness and sadness on the other side. So do it while you can. And that's so not true. Having a kid who's out of the house, my relationship with him has been deepened and widened and... Of course I miss him, but he has a lot more to say to me than when he lived at my house. He's having a life experience now and that life with adult kids can be a great reward not just a sad thing that happens after they leave you amy i know you're the researcher on this podcast
0: but i had to google bill murray has six children that shocks me i don't know why i would have thought he was like a confirmed bachelor with no kids but six children god bless the guy that you can only do that when you don't chase every ball they throw right that's how you get to six kids exactly he can't be chasing (laughs) every six balls all the time amy have you completed your list I have. I have a 30,000 foot one. It's a big one. So uh, it's good to take on now. One of the biggest things I've learned from the podcast is that life is long and that my career, I started out as a comedian wanting to be like a Tina Fey, you know, wanting to be a movie star and, and write stuff and win Oscars and host Oscars and all of that stuff. And Amy and I have known each other since college For people who don't know Amy, I stole Amy. She was a college friend of my sister's, but we didn't come up together. We reconnected uh, later in life to do the podcast. And both of us had careers before this that I would say we both thought were going to be our careers, right? You as an actress and myself as a writer, speaking for myself, my career did not Turn out the way I thought it would. I went out to Hollywood. You know, I did a bunch of stuff. I was on the road. I did comedy. I got signed by the biggest agent in Hollywood. It was going to be all, you know, rock stars and parties. And I was shooting for the stars. And I just, bad timing, whatever different things happened, it never really fell into place for me. And then I was involved in an accident with my then boyfriend. We got married, started having kids. And I kind of felt like, okay, I guess that didn't work out, my career. And then It wasn't until my 40s that we found this podcast, and it's just been such a nice thing and gift to happen at this phase of my life. If I could have designed my life, and I did try... I would have in a million years never written this chapter and I'm just like so happy to be doing this show. I feel like it provides useful information to people. It's super fun to do. It's becoming, you know, more and more of a business and a actual career in that, you know. Ideally, a career pays you some money at some point. So listen, it's not going to happen that way for everyone. But if you find yourself in a place where you're 40 years old and sitting at home with kids and the thing you thought was going to be your career is dead and you're like, I don't know what my life is ever going to be other than like breastfeeding kids and making oatmeal cookies and it's not great for me. For me, I found another chapter in midlife that has been something I couldn't have imagined and something that's better than anything I would have written. That's what I would
1: say. Yeah, that's lovely. And I feel exactly the same way. I always like to think like, I'm not really a failed actor. I'm a stopped actor. I just stopped doing it.
0: Yeah. because Let me tell you, Amy Wilson, if you don't know, I mean, IMDb her. She's been on a bunch of huge TV shows. You were on Broadway, for yes. God's sakes. I mean, you are not a failed actor. I'm slightly more of a failed writer than, I mean, listen, I did write the direct-to-DVD movie Bratz Starring and Styling. So, like, listen, I was out there making money for a while. Bratz colon starin and stylin that was what it was called starin no g and stylin it's a direct-to-video animated movie starring the bratz dolls written under my non-married name meg martin so if you if you google me under margaret Abels, you're gonna be like she's lying she's lying about starin and stylin
1: but you were there but you no, are.
0: i wrote the movie bratz starin and Styling as meg martin it's on imdb And so you're saying you like this podcast better than writing Bratz movies? (laughs) Better than writing... Really? (laughs) Oddly. Oddly, I do. I don't want to be facile about it because the fact is like sometimes it's not to say that, hey, if everything's terrible, look at me, it'll all turn around. But one thing I will give myself credit for, I just kept trying things. I kept coming up to closed doors and knocking on them or like going three doors down and trying another door. And I'm really seeing the reward of trying to approach life in a way that says, if not this, then what? And believe me, this, I want to say, is the 73rd thing I tried. We're not the biggest podcast in the world. You know, we're not making millions of dollars doing a podcast. It's not like, oh, my God, and now I'm on the lofty mountaintop. Oprah, please, no time for an interview at this time. But of all of the things I've learned from the podcast, I think that the idea of just try the next thing has been really valuable.
1: I feel very fortunate to do something that in which I get to work with you another woman, in which I get to connect with women, with moms all over the place, and hopefully make them both laugh and learn something. And along the way, like, what do I want to learn more about? How do I become a better parent and then do the research and read the books and interview the experts that will help me do those things and live better. What a privilege it is to invest in how can I make my life better as a mother and talk to you about it and talk to other people about it and then bring this to other people as your job is pretty cool.
0: Yeah, it's really, really cool. And I don't know what the takeaway is for people listening other than if you have something that you feel like you're not doing, like try it, try it on a small level. Like just keep trying things. Listen, I tried a lot, a lot, a lot of things. And and you know hopefully when i'm 70 i'm trying different new things but the idea of just creating something as a person who thought my career was over, is
1: it's a huge gift and it's exciting. And I'm so glad we started the podcast six years ago. Me too. And I'm so glad that you're listening, everybody listening. For reals. Like I'm trying to be funny about it, but I can't be funny about it. Like this is and we get to do it because you're listening. So thank you. Thank you for six years of doing this.
0: That's it. I mean, that's the thing. And certainly the way the podcast started was with a hundred listeners, which was basically like my mom and your mom and it grew because you both have a lot of cousins. I, a lot of cousins. Listen, family and friends. I got a shout out Kerrville, Texas, where my husband's from. All the people in Kerrville, like his high school friends started listening and it started just with a hundred people and then they told two friends and they told two friends. We're going to end with an oldie locks alert and so on and so on. What is that a commercial for? And so on. I think it's it's hairspray, I think. Some sort of hair product. It's a 70s commercial. Thank you so much for six years of listening. And if you want to help us keep growing and living our dream, tell two friends and so on and so on. It's Fabergé Organic Shampoo. Fabergé organic yeah, shampoo. We're going to link to it. That's our business model. And
1: they tell two friends.
0: Yes. And so on. Tell two friends. That's our business model. Tell two friends, people. Thank you so much for listening. Happy sixth anniversary, Amy. Happy sixth. Happy sixth. What is the sixth don't anniversary? You... Is it like paper or? Oh, I don't know. Let's see. Look it up. Do a little
1: research, please. It's iron. Oh, the iron anniversary. The sixth anniversary gift is iron. <laughs> I present you these. I don't know what to get you. Iron microphone. <laughs> iron throne? I don't No, An iron? iron, Yeah. Or an iron. I'll give you an iron. No, 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 thank you.
0: (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. So long.
2: Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters.